morning. If you can avoid something unpleasant by making a simple good choice, it's really worth it. This week I got a phone call that I've been hoping for. A pharmacy at Bartell Drugs in my neighborhood had a box of the shingles vaccine arrive. I had requested that they let me know. And they did. So I, I went right over immediately because it's they're rare. And I went and I got inoculated from shingles. Yeah. Whew. My doctor told me that if I, I could, it would be a good idea to get it. And as you may have heard, the vaccine is very effective, and there's also a shortage of it. And people my age and older are very interested in the prospect of never having to deal with this extremely uncomfortable disease, having walked with several family members and, and church members through just the unpleasantness of shingles, I was very motivated. In preparing this message this week, I had the sensation that this, this whole endeavor is a bit like doing for all of us what my doctor was doing for me. If you can avoid something bad by making a simple good choice, it is truly worth it. There is a kind of cancer of the soul that I believe is rampant in our society. It's not a new malady, but I believe it's getting worse. I mean, as long ago as the sixth century AD, an ancient father of the Christian church named Gregory the Great, he put it this way, the striving after possessions and wealth is like an illness a painless, hidden cancer that invades the soul and does its damage before the victim even knows. If I could, I would vaccinate all of us from this. So I went on a search for what the Bible says, and in seeking to do this, I was amazed, as I have been before, just how much of the Bible says, what, what the Bible says on this subject. There's so much in the Bible on this subject. I mean, you know that Jesus taught with parables, stories, right? Did you know that 16 of Jesus' 38 parables are concerned with how to handle money and possessions? In the Gospels, an amazing one out of 10 verses 288 verses in all in the New Testament, in the Gospels, deal directly with the subject of money. The Bible as a whole, the Old Testament and the New Testament, offers 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. So in my search for a text today, there were so many options from which to choose, <laughs> but I finally settled here in 1 Timothy, this, this letter in which the mentor, Paul, gives advice to his younger associate, and 
he has a unique perspective on this topic, so let's consider this together. Paul begins this way, by clearing up confusion about godliness and gain, saying that some have used godliness in order to gain money. We certainly have ample examples of this in our culture. Simply turn on cable TV. There are preachers there who will tell you that God wants you to be rich and that you can guarantee it by helping them to buy their new jet. They're very open about this. So here's the ancient problem which we see so clearly in our culture, the idea that the amassing of stuff will somehow bring you happiness. In verse 7, Paul points out how silly this really is. And we, we see here how the ancient old saying is, you can't take it with you where it comes from. He says, you arrived on this earth naked and penniless, and that's exactly how you'll leave. Many people have tried to do otherwise, and I suppose the most extravagant of which is the Egyptian pharaohs who were buried with all of their riches and possessions, thinking that the king would take it all with him. And yet, it really just provided wealth for the artifact hunters of the 19th and 20th centuries. <laughs> so much for taking it with you. We can agree, I think, to the silliness of all this, and yet, if the truth be told, many of us live as if our possessions were permanent. I don't know about you, but I have yet to see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Or as the old Spanish proverb says, there are no pockets in a shroud. My favorite depiction of this is the old Gary Larson cartoon, The Far Side. If you can't see the you can't see that uh, down at the bottom it says, ah, it's George, he's taking it with him. And I love the fact that there are not only a TV and golf clubs, but a piano and a dog going, going uh, that's so great. But Paul is, Paul is saying here in this letter, if, if you remember this, if you remember that we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it, you are on the road to contentment. So, what is contentment? It's simply realizing that any of us, all any of us really needs for life is food, clothing, and shelter. The bare necessities. Paul is not saying that having more than this, than the basics is wrong. But he is saying this, until it comes, that more, until it comes, don't make wealth your priority. Don't pine for more before it gets here. So this hits me right where I live. I am in many ways a typical American guy. I like cars. I like computers and other things that either go fast or give an illusion of speed. <laughs> I like shopping on Amazon.com and REI. I like REI too much. I'm not alone with that, I think. I like tools. I like shopping for tools. I try to avoid Harbor Freight, sometimes un unsuccessfully. 
And I, I, I do, I, I'm confessing to all of you, I have a tendency to pine after what I don't have yet. Am I the only one who does this? I was waiting for Ta- Don to say, yes. <laughs> was a, it was a setup and you didn't fall for it. <clears throat> so when Paul says in verse eight, we will be content with these. And this Greek verb is in the perfect tense. So it means we will be content, won't we? <laughs> I believe he's telling me all this stuff that you don't yet have. Don't be using your time and energy dreaming about it. Be content with what you have. Ouch. But this isn't just an empty warning. It's a, a, a kind of, you better not do this or I'll tell. <laughs> no. His next comment is much more serious. It's the kind of warning that when you ignore it could be hazardous to your health. Let's read verse nine. Right after he says, let's be content with the basics, your challenge is to listen to me and not the baby. (laughs) The baby is making beautiful music. I love having that sound in our sanctuary, amen? Listen to me, okay. (laughs) Verse 9, right after he says, be content with what the, ba- the, with the basics, he says this, but those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. This is a deep warning. This discontent that I feel so often, maybe you do too, Paul says is the road to ruin and destruction. This is that that cancer of which Gregory the Great warned. And then the famous verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. This is, by the way, one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. Um, You often hear it this way, that money is the root of all evil. No. It's the love of money that brings trouble and nothing but trouble. It's not the money itself, but what you and I do with it and how we feel about it. John D. Rockefeller, he was once asked, how much does it take to satisfy someone completely? And he said... It takes a little bit more than they have. So it's like the Roman proverb that wealth is like seawater. So far from quenching someone's thirst, it just intensifies it. The more you get, the more you want. So Paul's advice here, I think, rings with the urgency of serious danger. Verse 10, and in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. It's as if Paul is pointing out a whirlpool that though it looks like a fun place to swim, will eventually suck you under. 
So then in verses 11 through 16, the past part of the passage we did not read, there are other words of advice for the young pastor, Timothy. Words about fighting the good fight, hanging in there, remember your calling. It's, but it's as if Paul must come back to the subject of money again, perhaps to give some positive suggestions after giving many uh, prohibitive ones before. In verse 17, we read, as for those in this present age who are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. These verses are interesting for what they reveal about the church and money. But for one thing, we find that the early Christian church wasn't made up only of people who were poor. There were wealthy people in Timothy's church. And also notice what he does not say. He doesn't say, tell those who are rich now to give it all away. Jesus did tell someone that one time, but only once, which must have been specifically what that guy needed to hear. Bottom line, it's not inherently wrong to be wealthy, but there are warnings. Paul knew that wealth has a tendency to breed haughtiness, a, a, a condescending feeling that one is better than others also could breed false hope. Wealth will do this to you, an insidious, slow change of attitude. Paul says, warning, don't let this happen, those of you who are wealthy. Then notice this, he mentions the uncertainty of riches. This is, this is not what our culture folks would have us believe about riches. In these days of consumerism and money markets and FDIC insured funds, etc., if there's one thing you, you, that you better count on, it's money in the bank. Paul says, no. Riches are uncertain. Given the right set of circumstances, each one of us is just one day away from poverty. Anyone in this room, don't set your hope on money or possessions. What Paul is suggesting here is that the really important things are beyond the reach of money. Perhaps you've heard this list of the many things that money cannot buy. Money can buy a bed, but not sleep. Money can buy books, but not brains. Food, but not an appetite. Finery, but not beauty. Money can buy a house. Money cannot buy a home. It can buy medicine, but not health. Money can buy pleasures, but not peace. Money can buy luxuries, but not culture. Money can buy amusements. Money cannot buy joy. Money can buy a crucifix, but not a savior. Money can buy a church building. Money cannot buy heaven. 
Rather than counting on money to bring us happiness, we who follow Jesus are to have another attitude altogether. Paul says to those who are rich, they're to focus on doing good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, verse 18. Being ready to share. I loved what Christian did with the kids this morning. It's hard to do this if, you, if your possessions are held with closed fists. Open your hands. If you're wealthy, be a steward of what God has given you and not an owner. You see the difference? And who among us this morning is wealthy? The better question here is this, who isn't? <laughs> By world standards, we all are wealthy. Everyone here. Did you know that the rest of the world thinks of us as fat Americans? It's true. And for the most part, I think they're right. We have a minority of the world's people, but at the same time, a majority of the wealth, and we regularly dispose of it very well. Thank you. We are fat. Now, being fat is not a good thing, is it? I mean, there are different ways of looking at this, but if you're too fat, you will likely develop health problems. Being fat is not a good thing. But what about our metaphorical fatness in terms of money? Paul is teaching the dangers of being financially obese here. But we could look at our fatness this way. The way that Dr. Paul Brand describes fat. He said, fat is absolutely gorgeous. Dr. Brand uh, was a medical doctor who worked with lepers in India. He said this, when I perform surgery, I marvel at the shimmering lush layers of fat that spread apart as I open up the body. Those cells insulate against cold, provide protection for the valuable organs underneath and give a firm, healthy appearance to the whole body. I have never thought about fat that way. <laughs> I don't know about you. And he continues, but the, those are just the side benefits. He, he says, the real value of fat is as a storehouse. Locked in those fat cells are the treasures of the human body. When I run or work or expend any energy, fat cells make that possible. They act as banker cells. It's absolutely beautiful to observe the cooperation among those cells. And then Dr. Brand goes on to apply the analogy of fat to the body of Christ. He says that each disciple of Jesus in a relatively wealthy country like America is called to be a fat cell. America has a treasure house of wealth and spiritual resources, the challenge to us as followers of Jesus to wisely use those resources for the rest of the body. 
This kind of perspective could definitely help one's attitude. Instead of concentrating on how much money God is calling me to give away, I could contemplate my privilege to funnel those resources back into Christ's body to help accomplish his work in my, here in my neighborhood or all around the world. So the apostle goes on. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future. Which future? He's talking about eternity here. This is a good, it's a good foundation for that future. Yes, it's true that you can't take it with you, but you can send it all ahead. <laughs> and this, this is the way to take hold of life that really is life. Paul knew that there was a special blessing in giving, a kind of blessing that can only be described as real life. Sir Winston Churchill once said, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. I pray for, for you and for me this kind of life. A life that is free of the soul cancer that is greed and striving for more. And I believe we have before us the way to be free of this disease right here in this passage. As you may have guessed, or you already know because we've been talking about it this morning, it is estimate of giving card time here at Mountain View. And the best thing I think I can say about your giving here at Mountain View is that this is part of a cure for the cancer that has diminished the lives of so many in our world the cancer of trying to get more and more and more. This is not the life that Jesus wants for you. Do you know how much money you make every month? Do you know what your annual income is? I think probably almost everybody in this room has a pretty accurate idea of what that number is. Well, the other question is, do you know for certain, what percentage of that you're giving back to God? I will just say by word of testimony that in, in my adult life, my wife and I together have sought to be tithers, to give at least 10% of what we, God has provided for us, to give it back to God by giving it to our local church. And that this has been probably the most significant thing in inoculating us from this soul cancer. We're not completely free of it. I admitted this morning that sometimes I struggle with it. But without the discipline of tithing, I think we, I'd be so deep into it. <laughs> Jesus wants a life for us that is free of that, real life, free from the cancer of selfishness, free from the worries of discontentedness, free from the evils of the love of money. And it is to be found by being ready and willing to share what God has given us.
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray.